Hi, and welcome to the Hingham Cast. I'm your host, Allie Donnelly. The Hingham Cast is hyper local, looking at the pandemic, politics, and everything in between through the lens of one small town, my town, here on Boston's South Shore. But the issues we explore are unfolding in communities across the country. Like who heads our schools? Hingham has been on the hunt for a new superintendent at an incredibly challenging time. They've chosen Dr. Margaret Adams, the assistant superintendent of Melrose Public Schools. She's consulting for the next few months to get to know our schools in town better and then takes over full time this summer. Now, I sat down with Dr. Adams before the explosive school committee meeting last Friday, but she agreed to come back and share her reaction. Before I get to it, I want to play part of that meeting, underscoring what a painful and sometimes ugly debate it's been over masks in school. Carrie Nam, the chair of the school committee, and I'm participating remotely. Just to remind you, the school committee voted to allow Hingham High School to go mask optional starting this week and the rest of the schools to follow suit on February 28th. You're about to hear Interim Superintendent Gary Maestas talking about who will be responsible to make the call if they feel schools need to reinstate a mask mandate and his fears for his safety given the divisiveness of the issue with parents. I'll tell you, on Monday morning, I will go into John Ferris's office and I will put in the requisition for bodyguards and a bunker to be installed at my home because just watching what has happened Uh, with the school committee, the aggressive nature of some of our community members around this issue, I think it would be extremely difficult for one person to take on this responsibility. And if if you want me to do it, and you think that's something that you um, trust that I could manage it, but it will come at a cost. This next voice is Hingham School Committee member Michelle Ayer. But this has taken a big toll on, on this committee, right? We are your neighbors and your friends, and in some cases, your family members. And I'm incredibly grateful for vast majority of people who sent emails saying, thank you for all you do. I recognize this is hard work. I am glad I am not in your shoes. Those were really heartwarming messages to receive. What was really hard was to get some of the emails that I think people would be surprised to know that we got. You see on the news some of these towns where people go into school committees with weapons and threatening people and making intimidating and horrible comments to them. And we would watch that and think, oh, my goodness, that's awful. That would never happen here. I don't know about the rest of my committee members, but I received a couple of emails that would qualify as a felony under United States law. I mean, threatening and intimidating elected officials is a felony in this country. And I got emails that were not just veiled threats. And it's really disturbing. Now here's part of Dr. Adams's response. We had to trim it down for time. After you watched that school committee hearing, what went through you? What did you think? So I, I think people are tired. The pandemic has been has worn on all of us very much in many ways and has impacted many families in great ways. Um, and I think we need to build trust in our communities that school and district leaders with their educators are making the best decisions they can for your children, our children. And we have to trust and have grace. We also need to do better around communicating the why of our decisions Mm -hmm. and be able to explain um, to families, educators, and the wider community the reason we make decisions. 
I think like all communities, um, there's a lot of healing that needs to be done around um, the pandemic. We think the pandemic is over. It likely is not. We will be wearing masks as we drop this mandate. We likely will be wearing masks again at some point. However, um, we've grown so much. Let's build upon the resiliency, the perseverance of our young people, our educators, um, and build a stronger school and a stronger community. Does it give you pause at all when you hear that administrators and volunteer school committee members have been threatened? Does it make you hesitate in any way or worry about the community you're coming into in any way? I think I stay always true that the decisions we make are the best in in collaboration with all of those folks, school committee, district and school leaders and educators are always have in mind what is best for our students, our kids. When I keep that value and that um, um, ideal in my mind all the time, I'm confident in the decisions we make. Not all decisions will be popular by every or accepted by all, but I'm going to really strive to communicate as clearly as we can using um, every means that we possibly can so that people understand the why. Um, And I've had the opportunity to give input Mm. where we can, but I think we also need to return to a place and a time where we say, we have great teachers, we have great educators and school and district leaders, and you do in Hingham. I've met many of them. We need to trust that they have the best interests of your children and they're making decisions that are really going to lead um, your young people forward. And on that note, I want to play the rest of the interview where we dig into the social and emotional health of our kids, diversity, equity, and inclusion in our schools, the possibility of unleveling or unlabeling the advanced or honors tracks in some grades or classes, and a lot more. So here we go. So I want to welcome Dr. Margaret Adams, Hingham's incoming superintendent of schools. Hi, Dr. Adams. Hi. Glad to be here. Thanks. So it's been a few weeks since you (laughs) accepted the position. How are you feeling about what lays ahead? I am excited and um, ready for the challenge ahead. Um, I'm I'm very excited. I've been very warmly welcomed everywhere I've been. I've been received cards and emails and notes of, of great welcome. It feels like a community, a warm, welcoming, kind, and generous. Um, I'm impressed by the generosity of everyone. Oh, it's nice to hear. It's nice to hear. You know, you've been at Melrose. You're the assistant superintendent currently um, of Melrose Public Schools, and you've been yes. there um, since 2013. Yes. I want to talk about your philosophy on education. Um, in your interview with the search committee, you said we need to be reimagining and rethinking the way we do school. What do you mean by that? So, yeah, so in Melrose, we've been working on a vision of personalized learning, really thinking about how we prepare our young people for the 21st century, the, the new, I know we're well into the 21st century, but um, we, we feel it um, that the, the world is evolving and changing at such a rapid pace. Um, and we need to change our classrooms um, from just providing kids knowledge and filling their heads with, uh, you know, lots of facts and dates and information to really creating young people that are creative and problem solvers 
good communicators, both in, in writing, but also being able to represent ideas in multiple ways. Um, and so we've been trying to do that by reimagining our classrooms to being less teacher-directed and more student-centered, empowering young people in their own learning, um, empowering young people to do research and solve problems, um, both at the school level when they're little and elementary, and then as they move up into middle and high school, going broader and looking into the community um, and thinking about the impact of of government and policies um, locally and then nationally and globally um, on themselves as young people and on on others. Well, I think it's interesting. Melrose, um, already a a good performing school, a well-performing school, um, you've gotten some national attention for the work that um, you've been involved in there. I want to ask you specifically about something you said, um, and this I really it, this isn't the first topic I wanted to talk about, but it, I think it leads in from what you just said. Um, you've done some unleveling in Melrose, is that right? Yes, we had some levels in our middle school, which we slowly removed. We had two levels. One was a, um, and we did it in English and math. One level, and then an advanced level, only two levels, and then our high school has still has um, in 10th um, through 12th grade college prep and an honors, and then students had an advanced placement options. At our high school, we also promoted and developed a culture around advanced placement where um, we encouraged all students who were willing to do the work to take the course, really trying to create a culture where every student saw, if they wanted to go to college, that they could take a college-level course. So I want to go back and set the table there a little bit. Mm-hmm. So in Hingham, kids are in seventh grade. They get recommended for honors level classes. Mm-hmm. And then a parent can override that decision on, on both ends. But I, I'm curious, bring me back a little bit on what made you start to consider at Melrose taking some of the leveling off, so to speak, and, and explain what you did. So we, we worked really hard at first to make sure that we were developing a curriculum that was very rigorous, that was aligned to the curriculum frameworks. And this was also after the state had um, created new curriculum frameworks in English language arts and in mathematics that were very focused on developing problem solvers, mathematicians, and really developing habits of those particular disciplines. So we started there and trying to raise standards and and raise everybody to meet those standards because the state gives us standards. The state tells us really clearly all students should do this in sixth grade, um, seventh grade, eighth grade, English language arts or mathematics. And so we started there and we started developing a real rigorous curriculum. Um, And then we started to notice that when we leveled students, we weren't necessarily providing access to all students to that high level of rigor. I think we often think that um, different groups of students, when we group students by level, we are able to better meet their needs and that teachers can't um, or don't meet multiple levels of needs in a classroom. It just requires restructuring and thinking about your classrooms differently. Um, One way to do that is by differentiating within the classroom. And another way, there's another theory, um, uh, philosophy of education called universal design for learning, where you create a classroom. This is the standard. I want all my students to reach that standard. 
I'm going to create um, my lessons and my classroom so that all students can have access to that standards. So some students might need to do it through um, a piece of reading or writing. Uh, some students may draw their understanding of that particular standard. It depends on the content. Um, but you provide students multiple ways to express their understanding, their knowledge. You provide multiple ways for students to learn and represent information to them. And you give students multiple ways to engage in the content. So we really started there by creating classrooms that allowed all students to have access um, to those standards. And then over time, we noticed that some students, because we were grouping them, we were providing that access. So it really required us to redesign and rethink how we structured our classrooms to provide personalized ways that kids, some students were ready to move forward faster or move, um, take on more challenge. We could do that within the same classroom. And then all students benefit. We benefit from the student um, who's ready for that challenge. And they also benefit from students who may be struggling a little more. We have something to learn from everyone. And it's, so it's rethinking our way of structuring the classroom so that all students can be successful. So let me ask a nuts and bolts question so I'm, I make sure I really understand. Are you removing that kind of honors track, so to speak, at Melrose? So you're asking me if I'm removing the label. Yeah. Um, and we did that at our middle school. And then um, we also did it in our ninth grade. And then in 10th grade, um, still exists in, in, in leveling. That, that's when we begin that leveling process. This is the path that Melrose took. I'm really committed to really focusing on Hingham, what's current my, over the next couple months, working with Dr. Maestras to really understand and Hingham, um, understand the systems and structures that are in place work with and develop a leadership team so that we can develop the vision for what Hingham wants. I have some strong values and vision around equity and really providing access to all students. Um, that's really core to who I am. And I'm committed to learning about Hingham and seeing how does that work here in Hingham and what is the vision that the community wants for the schools. I think the strategic plan is going to be extremely important um, for my work and the leadership team and, and the educators to really develop a vision of where it takes us. And I would never say that, oh, that means we're going to unlevel. I don't know. Um, I'm in the process of learning and I really want to develop a collective vision of where we're going. And that's going to be as a community together. And so that's the path that Melrose took. And I was proud to work with the leadership um, and educators um, to develop that vision and the, and the community to develop that vision over time. Um, I've been there 10 years and that took a lot of work. We worked a long time on our curriculum, on professional development of teachers to really support them in redesigning and rethinking how we provide for instruction for students among multiple levels within a classroom. So I think that's important to say. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And it's interesting because I did mention it to someone. I said, I said, you know, I don't understand. I've got to dig into it with her, but, you know, kind of the unleveling aspect. And someone said to me, well, does that hurt those kids when they're applying for college if college is measuring them on that leveling measurement, so to speak? No, no, I don't. I, I absolutely don't think so. I think what we have tried to do is raise standards for all students so that we have 
higher numbers of students taking um, APs. I think if you look at the number of students taking APs um, at Melrose High School is pretty outstanding. Um, a large number of students are taking at least one AP. And so our goal was to create the opportunity for all students to reach high standards. And if they want to pursue college, that they have an experience in high school that says, hey, you can do college level work um, and can go on to college um, if that's what you choose to do. Let's take a quick break here to say, if you like the podcast, follow us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Write us a review and most importantly, sign up for our email. That lets you know when new episodes drop. We won't bother you for any other reason but to give you that heads up. And if you do, subscribers and only subscribers can win gift cards, tickets, and swag to local businesses. We've had some awesome giveaways, so don't miss out. Sign up at thehinghamcast.com. Okay, back to our conversation to hear how Dr. Adams plans to approach the devastating mental health crisis that's hit our kids or exacerbated issues they are already dealing with. Have a listen. You know, you've experienced the pandemic as an educator, but also as a mom of teenage kids. Yep. How has that informed the work you do with schools and what do you think lies ahead there? I think that we are going, when I think of social emotional learning, I also think about the relationship building skills that we need to develop in our young people, the um, executive functioning skills, the ability to organize yourself, to plan, to set goals, to manage your time, the ability to problem solve relationships um, and conflict as it results. Those are all skills that we need our young people to have and adults. And many of us have been struggling um, with some of those skills ourselves in the last um, two years. And we need to build that muscle in our young people. And that's not going to go away. I think the skills, the jobs, the careers uh, that are emerging as needs um, of our young people are, are, are going to still require all of those important skills. Um, and we need to build it within our curriculum. We need to build it into the systems and structures of our school. At the same time, we also, I'm a strong believer in the arts. I have a 15-year-old who is a visual artist and ha- saw during the pandemic how she used visual arts to express her, her emotions. Also have met many young people who have used music to express their creativity and their emotions and their struggles and writers, poetry um, that young people have written to express um, their concerns and their worries for themselves, their community, and our and our nation. Um, and it's very powerful. And so how do we nurture create, create the creativity within our classrooms to support young people to be able to express their needs also in a creative way. And I'm a strong believer that the arts provide an avenue um, for the human soul and the human spirit um, and build community in, in addition. So how do we nurture and build more programming within the schools? As a mother of a visual artist, young visual artist, it's always been a struggle to find good art programming that allows her to extend and develop um, and nurture her, her own skills. So how do we create those opportunities in the public schools so that all students have that opportunity as well? Yeah. I mean, you may know this, but there's a push for Hingham to have a director of arts, mm-hmm. um, a position that was cut in 2009. And I think 
Um, there's a fair amount of data to show that Hingham kids aren't engaging with the arts uh, in school at the level that our, our peer districts are doing. So if I'm a parent listening to this and I'm supporting the recreation or you know reinstatement of a director of the arts, should I be heartened by the things you just said and thinking that that could happen? I would hope so. Um, I know in Melrose, we brought back our visual and performing arts. I think it just adds expertise. I was trying to hold the department together and it's challenging. I don't have um, the level of expertise around the visual and performing arts and um, being able to build theater programs and provide. Um, there's just, there's a knowledge and an expertise. I'm, I've spent a lifetime learning about the teaching of reading and the teaching of languages um, and the teaching of mathematics. And I've spent a lifetime gaining and developing that content knowledge and having someone who knows and can continue to develop that content, that expertise is important because you, you wanna be creating a program that is actually meeting the needs of students and also meeting the needs for those who wanna continue in the arts long-term. Um, but also, you know, the best practices and that our, our curriculum and our programming and our instruction is aligned to state and national standards, because that's, that's the work we want to do in schools is be the best um, and gives, you know, time is so precious in schools. So you want to maximize every moment and give students the best experiences they can um, every day, every single day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to move on, if you don't mind, to diversity, equity, and mm-hmm. inclusion. That's a big umbrella, of course, that I want to dig into. But I first want to talk about racial and cultural diversity. Is it different when you're trying to address those kinds of issues when the community is 99% white? Yeah, I, I, Melrose has struggled with the same police. It's a mostly white community. Um, it's about 75% um, white. But I, I think that Uh, Again, we are preparing our young people for the global stage, and the global stage is diverse. The global stage speaks multiple languages, um, is culturally aware. They will be navigating spaces that are diverse. So we need to make sure that we are developing young people who have a wide awareness of the world a wide awareness of the skills necessary to navigate um, different cultures, to be able to navigate conflict um, effectively, to be able to ve- develop consensus. Um, those are skills of, a, of an engaged citizenry that we need um, um, in our nation as well, um, that we need young people who are civically engaged. We need young people who are going to be able to solve the problems of today's world. So we need to be poising in our curriculum um, and our instruction those skills. They need to be embedded in our work um, where kids are discussing and debating, but they all, we're also creating conditions for healthy dialogue where the intent is not to persuade, but it's to hear and listen and understand the perspectives of others so that we can then move forward because we still have to work together um, despite differences, despite differences of opinions. So I think it's really important in, a, in, in all communities, right? This is work that must happen because if, if it doesn't happen, we're not preparing our young people for that global stage, for being economically able to move and be able to have careers in today's world. Yeah. 
getting back to racial and cultural specifically, if you were talking granularly, granularly, um, how do you do that with kids in your in the curriculum? Give me an example of what you might add to our curriculum or enhance in our curriculum. I, we've been using, um, and I like the framework. Um, it's the Learning for Justice um, Social Justice Standards, and they're organized by first identity. Um, we begin our work by having and making sure students understand um, who they are as individuals. And it's not just your race or your culture. It's um, who you are as a person, um, your gender. It's, it's so much broader who you are, what your hobbies are, your interests, your passions, the roles that you play, um, both in your family, in your, in your school, and professionally. So who are you as a person? Second, understanding the diversity of the community, and that begins in the classroom, right? Who's the, who are the diverse individuals in our classroom beyond just race and culture and gender? And also then understanding what are the social justice issues that are impacting our community, that are impacting um, our, our, our wider nation, um, and ha- having students understand those issues and the diverse perspectives, understand and be taking perspectives of what are the different opinions, um, and then forming their own um, and coming to their own conclusions about what they feel. And then fourth, taking action. And there's a big component of our social studies um, curriculum frameworks in the state that really is asking us to help students from kindergarten all the way up into high school to be civically engaged to take action in their community. So in our, in our younger grades, it could be write, writing a letter to the editor or writing a letter to their principal saying that they think this should be changed um, to high schoolers creating civic projects that engage them with the wider community um, to solve problems that they identify um, and getting civically engaged. That can happen in a classroom and in curriculum. For example, I was in a second grade classroom here at South um, and saw that the teacher had um, created a chart and she had identified um, students had been asked to think about where their family heritage was. And she had charted out all the different places um, families came from. And it was quite a diverse collection. And I put my name in one of the boxes. Um, And that's identity work, right? Who are you as an individual? And who are the diverse members of our own community in our classroom? And then taking it broader. Let's look globally and nationally. Let's understand the diversity. Um, And really support students in the skills. That's perspective taking and understanding and listening to each other to understand diverse perspectives, um, and then working together to problem solve as a community. Those are all skills that are going to poise our young people to work across different racial um, communities or cultures and diversity that they're going to encounter as they grow up and go into the world. Yeah, yeah. You know, obviously, other types of diversity, you mentioned gender identity, but also neurodiversity. Yes. What can parents and the community expect to see on that front? I think that's one part we did our work in Melrose is it was also a very important part of the community said we really want also our students to understand the neurodiversity that exists in our community, that they understand how do we create classrooms and wider communities that take into account neurodiverse young people 
for example, if you have a performance and you have young people um, who can't tolerate the performance, the loud voices or the sounds or the lights, how do you create a space so that they can also enjoy that performance? And so it, it's, it's, you know, it starts in the schools. How do we create communities where neurodiverse students um, also have access to high standards, have access to curriculum and instruction um, and the supports that they need? How are we as a community inclusive of, of families and, and young people who are also neurodiverse is something we've been thinking about um, as well. Yeah, yeah. Not in any way to, to lump kids together. But there have been a fair amount of families that have talked to me about having struggles with not always feeling like um, their kids are, are seen or as heard as well as they'd like them to be with IEPs and special education. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the challenges you see there and, and how are you going to try and meet them and, and conquer them? Yeah, I think one of the ways I've thought of classrooms and instruction in, in our schools is I like, I believe very firmly around the principles of universal design, talked about it a bit earlier, is how do we create um, classrooms where we have a standard, an objective um, that we have? How do we reduce the barriers in the classroom space? And we plan ahead for them. It's a little different than when I went to school to learn to be a teacher is we did our lesson plan and then we delivered it. And then when a student was struggling, we then provided support, right? We waited for the student to struggle and then we sort of supported them. This is a different way of planning. And it sort of says, I know in my classroom, in any classroom, there are going to be students who are going to have challenges with attention and focus. So because I know that every classroom um, probably has students who are struggling with attention and focus, how do I plan so that I reduce that barrier. And then I I put something into place, but I make it accessible to everyone. So I just don't need to make it accessible to a few students because what might be good for a few students might be good for all. And so what are those tools or those scaffolds um, and supports that we make accessible to all um, so that if you need it, you use it? Um, And we support young people in understanding, hey, I learn best when, and so I'm going to use this support um, and really centering the the learning around the students so that the students taking more ownership. Um, And believe it or not, kindergartners can even do that. They can say, I learn best when I'm in a quiet spot or I learn best when I'm working with a partner. Um, And in really creating classrooms where it's flexible and there are different ways for students to access so that we're providing access to all students to the standards of that grade or that curriculum. And those students who aren't there yet, we're really supporting them to meet that goal over time. Like we still have that standard in mind and we're providing scaffolds and supports to support the young person to meet those um, particular standards. So it's a different way of planning um, and creating classrooms that you know I've been working in Melrose to support and it's still a work in progress um, because it's, it's really reshifting the way we think about our classrooms and our schools. Another quick break here to recognize our media partners at the Hingham Anchor. All news is local, and we need to support community journalism. The Anchor has deeper coverage on our schools, healthcare, small businesses, and so much more. It's HinghamAnchor.com. 
Okay, let's get back to our conversation with Dr. Adams and hear what she says she's afraid of as she looks to her new job at the helm of Hingham Schools. I mean, you have so much on your agenda. Um, You know, some would say Hingham's run lean and mean for years, and others would say it suffered from woeful underfunding. Knowing that you have foster and a potential override and hiring, what causes you the most stress coming into this job? One of my favorite questions to ask, I've been asking principals um, today and um, the leadership is, what are your fears and hopes for a new superintendent? Um, And then I also ask them, what do they think my fears and hopes are? And some people have turned the question around on me and said, what are your fears and what are your hopes? So give Um, it to us straight, Doc. (laughs) I'm afraid of not enough time. Time um, to get ready for July 1st and starting Um, and sort of my own transition and sort of not having enough time to do everything. My hope in in contrast to that is to develop um, strong leaders and develop the leadership team um, so that it's not one person doing that work. We have many people who are working together. I think that I'm really hopeful around the strategic plan and because that really can guide and support us in making those decisions. Many of your questions are asking me, well, what would I do? It's not about me. It's really about Hingham. Um, And whatever that document, sort of what the consensus that comes from that is really saying, okay, this is what our vision is for Hingham. Now let's start to actualize that and put it into place. Um, And I feel my role, I have strong values, Um, about what I believe schools should be. But it's not about me. It's about Hingham. And really trying to shepherd the leadership team and then educators um, to say, how do we actualize this vision um, for Hingham moving forward? Um, And really building the team both around thinking about what are the professional development we need to put into place to support all layers of our staff What's the curriculum, the instruction that we need? What are the systems and structures that we need to build in order to support that vision? Um, And that happens over time um, and um, with um, a a collective vision and group working towards. I know you have lots of nautical um, themes here uh, in Hingham is sort of how do we steer the ship, not just keep it afloat, steer it and move it forward um, and with everyone on board, including our young people. Like we need to leverage our young people too in, in this vision. Yeah. Yeah. That said, you are the captain of this ship mm-hmm. or you soon will be. But for our teachers and staff who are listening, what will it be like to work for you? Um, that is a great question. <laughs> I am. I have, Maybe I, have, I should have asked your kids. Yes. I have very high expectations, both for myself um, and those I work for. I really believe in our young people and want the best for every single one of them um, and work tirelessly to do so. Um, I have found anywhere I've ever been that educators also care and love deeply their young people um, and want to also do the same. Um, so I have high expectations. I work very hard, but I also, as I, um, as I, as my kids all get older, know also we need to take care of ourselves and each other. And so I will strive um, to try to take care of our staff, 
to really advocate and lobby for them, both as individuals and as a collective, while also keeping clear that our, 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 our mission is around our young people and providing um, a quality education and programming um, for every single young person. And that's our mission. Um, and for every kid and believing in believing, truly believing in every single child and really furthering them. Um, and I really strongly believe when we further the educator who then furthers the young person, we are also furthering the family. And I certainly have felt this with my own children. When educators have cared deeply for my young people um, individually, have gone out of their way for them, they have cared for me as their mom. And so that's what I also strive to do, um, is to care for families um, through our educators, through our leaders, um, and through the young people. Um, and I have certainly felt that um, and I'm grateful to the educators who have cared for my own two at home. Yeah, yeah. You know, in kind of a shorter term and a longer term, how will you measure success in Hingham? I measure success um, by the joy um, in classrooms um, and the joy that we have for every individual young person when we care and love deeply each young person, each family. We create classrooms that are dynamic um, and joyful, creative, um, where kids are doing the work of readers and writers and mathematicians and scientists. They're engaged in the real world practices within the classroom walls. Um, And you feel it when you're in classrooms and kids are struggling with math problems Um, At Plymouth River today, I was watching students struggle with um, place value up to a thousand. They were using base 10 blocks and they were moving them around Um, and they were using math tools, just like mathematicians were using. They were problem solving. Um, The principal there gave them a problem and they were trying to solve it. And we were asking them, how did you solve that? They were persevering on the problem. They were explaining their thinking. And that is the work of real mathematicians. Um, And that is what I see a success of a schools, of a school district, is when we're all engaging our young people in the world of in the world of all these disciplines and, and helping them decide, here's all this wealth that's out there. Decide what's your passion and what is your path going to be. And whatever that passion and that path is going to be, you've had opportunities to experience as well. By providing them a wide range of programming and curriculum, we allow them to see the breadth and the depth of, of what's possible in the world for themselves. So they leave with their ideas of what will make them passionate and happy and go forth and be leaders in their community, in the business world, and, and in the civic world, um, and all the ways we need them in the sciences, in all the ways we need our young people to go forth and support um, our communities. You know, we've talked uh, um, almost exclusively, not quite, but almost exclusively about Margaret Adams, superintendent or superintendent-to-be, you're a mom. I loved seeing Girl Scout Troop Leader on your resume. Holla. But what else? Who are you? What do you do for fun? What can we ever use against you in an embarrassing moment? 
<laughs> fun for me is being in classrooms and being really passionate about teaching and learning um, and problem solving with educators. But I am, um, as I've gotten older, my eyes are, it's harder for me to read for sustained amounts of time, but I have loved reading books on um, Audible and Overdrive from the public libraries and um, can be found reading lots and lots and lots. Um, I love um, nonfiction. I'm not a fiction lover. I love some historical fiction, but um, I love um, nonfiction and just reading the stories of others and their own uh, passions and their own journeys and, and find great joy in just learning about the experiences of, uh, of others. Like all of us in the pandemic have learned to binge watch more shows than I'd like to admit but um, it's sort of a, a little bit of escapism through television. Um, and uh, it, it, it certainly does help. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have to get you out for some good old fashioned Hingham karaoke so you can pick your song. We'll give you oh, some time. <laughs> I'm, not sure I, I'm not sure I can carry a tune really well, but um, I can certainly dance. Um, oh, really? I, my fair share. Yeah. Any particular style? No, no, nothing, uh, nothing um, professional. <laughs> Just wish. I also, I, I, I watch my daughter and her visual arts and in, 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 in another life, I would love to devote time to um, just the, the painting and um, the ceramics work that she does. And she's doing some sewing now. And I just would love to devote time to that creative piece, but um, haven't. And maybe someday I'll get to spend time just painting um, and learning about the craft. I really would like to learn um, about the craft. I, I great find great passion about learning. I love to learn about lots of things and, and really find joy in, in, in that process. That's terrific. That's terrific. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you really want to say or you really want the community to know at this point? I am so excited. I just spent... Um, of the day in at Hingham High School at Plymouth River and at South and everybody is smiling behind masks, welcoming. Um, it really, um, I'm, I'm so grateful and honored and humbled um, to w- move forward and try to to lead and steer the ship, um, as you said, be the captain of the the, the Hingham crew. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Well. Thank you. You have given us a tremendous amount of time, and I really appreciate it. But I'm going to ask for one more thing. You know, I asked the questions I wanted to ask and and got some input from the community, but would you be open to coming back again, perhaps, and taking some parent questions as, um, you know, either before the school year kicks off or as the school year kicks off? We'll have to do this before school starts sometime in the summer. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, Well, Dr. Margaret Adams, I thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, we'll see you in the hallways. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) I want to thank my fabulous podcasting partner, the kind and talented producer-editor, Kristen Keith. Our website is the work of Donna Mavramatis and her team at Mavro Creative. And I'm Ellie Donnelly. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. 